0: We would like to welcome you this morning to Mission Bible Fellowship as Pastor Stuart Guthrie brings a message from God's Word. We hope it challenges, encourages, and strengthens your walk with the Lord. Let us go to the Lord in prayer before we get started in our message. Father, we are uh, excited to be here this morning. Um, Lord, we are delighted that we can open your Word without persecution. We can study your Word without being in fear. And God, we are grateful for the freedom that You have given us as Christians in America. And Lord, I just prayed this morning that You would allow us to uh, hear Your Word. I pray that You would illuminate Your Scripture. And, and God, And this message is being a tough message to prepare. I pray that, Lord, it would be used for Your glory and for Your honor and that Your people would be transformed. And so, Lord, we just pray for an opportunity of transformation in each one of our lives. And Lord, we ask and, and pray that You would do that today. So Lord, I just I do thank You for all that You've given us as a church, all that You've blessed us with, the wonderful people, the wonderful leadership. And Lord, as we've looked through the book of First Peter, and today we come to a close, I pray, God, that You will allow us to reflect on all that we've looked at, all that we've talked about, for the purpose of encouragement and strengthening the body of Christ. And so, Lord, I just ask that You fill me this morning, use me and empower me with the Holy Spirit, that I might speak the truth of Your Word in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, we have now approached the closing statement, the book of 1 Peter, 24 weeks later. And so it's an exciting time to to reflect on what we've looked at and an exciting time to, to be in prayer about where God wants us to go as a church and to what book He wants us to preach so we can begin to learn more and we can begin to change more and we can begin to come become more into the image of Christ. And I tell you, this by far to me has been the most challenging message. As I looked at most commentators, they put the closing section uh, in the last sermon. But I felt like the context of 1 Peter really closed at verse 11 in a new section here in verse 12 to 14. And so, uh, though it's a few verses, I want us to remember that God's Word is all inspired. All of His Word is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, so that the man and woman of God may be adequately equipped for all good work. And so, this morning, though it's a small section of a conclusion statement, that's put out by Peter, I don't want us to miss that this is just as important as the rest of the book and the rest of the Bible. Well, let us jump into the text this morning. If you will, turn to your books, your Bibles, to chapter 5, and we'll be looking at verses 12 to 14. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 12 to 14. Uh, You know... I want to start by saying I appreciate Shane uh, and his comments about his own life. And I think that what I learned this weekend at this conference, it was on discipleship, but what I learned was more relational than anything. And I think what's important, and I believe the Bible teaches Jesus thought was important, is for us to build relationships with one another. And I think a part of that is being transparent to one another. And I would never stand up here and claim to be this perfect, holy, righteous man, though I strive to be. I want to encourage you to know that we are all falling short of the glory of God. And this, this word this morning, the words that we'll preach for as long as God will allow me is a time to reflect and to grow in our faith. And so I want to become more transparent to you as a congregation. And I want you to become more transparent to me. I want to know your problems so I can pray for you. You don't have to live in this little box of perfection. It's okay. Because you're not going to be perfect but we can pray for one another, we can strengthen one another, we can grow together, and that's my encouragement this morning as we open this Word and look at what Peter has to offer us this morning is to, to really be transparent in our own lives and to see, do I have these attitudes in which Peter is going to give us this morning? Well, let us look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 12-14. to It reads this, Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon chosen together with you sends you greetings. And so does my my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love, peace be to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Well, just like the last few weeks, we've looked at the Christian's discipline. And now we're in the closing statement, but, but Peter here is, is on the same track. He's still looking at the attitudes of Christians. We looked uh, two weeks ago, if you remember it, three different attitudes. We looked at the attitude of submission. We looked at the attitude of humility. And we looked at the attitude of trust. And those were challenging messages. This week, or or last week, we looked at another three attitudes, four attitudes actually. And these attitudes were given to help us resist the enemy. The attitude of self-control, the the attitude of awareness, the attitude of resilience, and the attitude of hope. And this week, uh, we're going to look at three final attitudes that, that I think Peter It doesn't directly give us an imperative to follow, but the text sure seems to support the idea that we should seek these attitudes. And so the first attitude, the first point that we need to see and understand this morning is the attitude of faithfulness should be desired. The attitude of faithfulness should be desired. Now I understand, again, Peter's not admonishing us to have this attitude, but the text really seems to push that thought process and we should desire it. Because here in verse 12, in the beginning it says, Through Salvanius, our faithful brother, for so I regard him. Peter regards this man, Salvanius, as a faithful man, a brother. And so, the question that I had to ask myself, and that I hope you would ask yourself as you read that, is number one, who is this man? Who is this man, and what did he do that made him so faithful? And so, as I began studying, as I began looking into the passage of Scripture to understand why this man is considered to be faithful, because I don't know about you, but when I die, I want to be known as a faithful man. Don't you? And so, this morning I want to ask the question, why? Who is He and what did He do? Well, as I studied, if you recall, if you've had the opportunity to read through the book of Acts, and it sounds like Lauren Rhodes is going to be preaching through that, and so if you've never heard the story, it's a good opportunity to jump into his class, and he'll walk you through the book of Acts. And here in the book of Acts, this man is spoke of in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 talks about a man by the name of Silas. This is the same man, Silas, that is Silvanus. Okay, but here in the Acts chapter 15, Luke calls him Silas. And one of my favorite things about this passage is in the 32nd verse of chapter 15, as he says this, Judas and Silas, uh, they're preaching... To the people, and he says, "Also, being prophets themselves, encourage and strengthen the brethren with a lengthy message." Yes, sir. That's my life verse. Cause y'all know I like to talk. No, I, I, I just, I just want you to know if I get a little long-winded, it's because I want to encourage and strengthen you, brothers. Actually, today will probably be the shortest message you've ever had from me. Silas was was a preaching prophet. This man was sharing the Word of God. And he worked right alongside a man by the name of Judas. And if you remember, in this chapter, there was a man by the name of the Apostle Paul. Pretty popular man, wouldn't you say? He was a convert to Christianity by Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he worked alongside of a man by the name of Barnabas. And if you remember, on the first missionary journey, uh, Mark left the scene. Mark left the scene. He abandoned them, and he went back to his hometown. But Paul and Barnabas they began to continue their work through. And there, in chapter fifteen, starting in in uh, verse thirty six, we see a, we see something happen. We see something happen here that I think to me was puzzling but yet encouraging. Because here in verse 36, it it talks about Paul and how as they were serving, he said to Barnabas, he said, Barnabas, let us go back and go back and, and encourage the brethren, visit them in every city in which we proclaim the message of Jesus. And so Paul wants to go back and he wants to visit everyone he shared the Gospel with. Wouldn't you say that was relational? He wants to make sure not only that he's preaching the Gospel, but that he understands what's going on in their lives. He wants to know their struggles. He wants to know what's happening. And so that's what he decided to do. And so they decided that was good. They were going to do that. But something happened. Um, if you remember us, Barnabas wanted to take John. He wanted to take Mark, John Mark, on this second missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. But what did Paul say? Paul said, no, nah. <laughs> no, he ain't going. He left us, he abandoned us, he's not going with us. And so what happens here, I find very interesting. It says this, and there occurred, in verse 39, there occurred such a sharp disagreement between them that they separated from one another. Now, as I sat here and I read this, I thought, these are godly men. These are like my heroes. And yet they had such a sharp disagreement that they separated. Now, you may say, where are you going, Stuart? Just hang on, we're getting there. Listen, the attitude of faithfulness we should desire as Christians faithfulness is pressing on even in the midst of disagreements even in the midst of separation the story continues that this disagreement that that came about separated them but what happened did Paul quit did Barnabas quit did they quit proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ that God had given them to proclaim that they had been discipled to preach the good news to the world did they quit no. It says here that Barnabas took Mark with him. Barnabas reached out and he grabbed Mark. And he said, hey, we're going to go share the good news. I don't Listen, Paul, Paul might not want you. He might not want to be with you. He might not trust you. But listen, I'm going to go with you and we're going to proclaim the gospel. Now, now let's go back to Paul. What did Paul do? Did Paul quit and go, you know what? I'm just, I quit. I'm tired of these... This stuff and separation is happening. Did he quit? No. What's it say he did? It says, but Paul chose who? Silas. Silvanus. The faithful brother that Peter calls a faithful brother. He picks up Silas. And they begin committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen. What I find interesting here is the faithfulness of these men. The faithfulness of this man Silas. The faithfulness of this man by the name of Paul. The faithfulness of this man. Barabbas. Not Barabbas. Barnabas. Yeah, not Barabbas. He was the one set free from prison. But Barnabas in his faithfulness picked up Mark and Mark in his faithfulness joined together because there seems to be this continual theme throughout Scripture where they went out two by twos, not one by one. Paul didn't go, you know what, I'm going to do this on my own. You leave me, brother. That's okay. I'm just going to go here. No, he got a brother and he came with him. And this morning I want you to see that this man was faithful because even then he was faithful to come along Paul and help serve. And years later, however long it was, this man is still faithful to Peter because now I ask myself the question, well, why is he working with... Peter, not Paul. Well, if you remember, Paul was either in prison or martyred by this time. And so this brother, not now, left Paul. And who did he go to? He went with Peter and he started serving with Peter. The faithfulness, the attitude of faithfulness we see in this man, Silas. Acts 15 was a very encouraging message for me. Because as brothers and sisters, look, I want you to understand, there will be people who disagree with you. There will will be people who will leave this flock. But my hope, my prayer, is that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And I would not beg you to stay here if you feel like God's calling you, but I would promise you that I would pray that you'll be faithful wherever you go. And my hope is that we can have the attitude of faithfulness to push on when things get tough, when division starts happening. Is to say, I'm going to be faithful to the message in which God has entrusted me to do it in the small group setting, to do it in the Sunday school setting, to do it in the kids' ministry setting, to say, we're going to proclaim Jesus Christ no matter the situation. And see, God is in the using process. Not only did they have a second missionary journey, they had a third missionary journey. You see, God always has a remnant and His ways are always better than our ways. And so I trust this morning that we can have that attitude of faithfulness. Boy, I'm way ahead in my nose. I want to be known for a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. We as Christians should desire to be faithful to the Lord. Because regardless if we're faithful to Him, He's always faithful to us. He is faithful to us when we are faithless. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle with faith. Sometimes I get caught up in my own little world worrying about my own little things, and I'm so concerned about everything that I become faithless. You know, as I look out across here, I see many people missing this morning. And as I sit in that front seat, it burdens my heart to know there's brothers and sisters not in here this morning. But you know what? God says, I'm faithful. I'm faithful. It's not my job to put them in the seats. It's my job to say, I love you, brother, and here's the Word of God, and let's, let's live the victorious Christian life together. But sometimes I become faithless. And this morning, I want to have that attitude of faithfulness. So when you're talking to somebody and you say, you know what, my pastor is a faithful pastor. When I'm talking about my brother, Bill, and there's a bunch of Bills in here, so I say Bill. They can say Bills, the Bills, they're faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And I want to be encouraged by you when you go through trials, just like this song that was sang by Sue and Wayne. Faithful. Faithful. When you go through a hard time, people look to see how you handle it and they're encouraged by your faithfulness. And I think we need to have that desire of faithfulness. Silas was a great pitcher of faithfulness. A man that served, Paul was a great pitcher of faithfulness. He said, I finished a good fight. Would you say Paul was a godly man? How about Saul? Was Saul a godly man? So is perfection perfect? No. The Roman Christians of that time are an example of faithfulness. Romans 1.8 says, because of their faithfulness, it was being reported all over the world. Barnabas was a faithful man. We see in Acts 11.24. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. I want to be known as a faithful man. People like Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Rahab. Remember what Rahab was? She was a prostitute. She was faithful. Caleb and Job and David and Daniel and Martha and on and on and on we see throughout Scripture where the brothers and sisters in Christ are Faithful. But faithfulness doesn't mean perfection. Please don't miss that. Look at Moses. Moses said, God, I can't even speak right. You want me to go and lead these people? Was that perfection? No. That was a lack of faith. But as he began, God began to grow him into a place of faithfulness. Rahab we've already talked about. She didn't look very faithful in the beginning, but she had a faith. David, he made a pretty big sin, if you remember. Was he faithful? Yes. A man after God's own heart. How about Paul? Paul said, said, I used to do everything I could to oppose the followers of Jesus of Nazareth. Authorized by the leading priests, I caused many of them to be beaten, to be sent into prison. And I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. This man was a hater of Christians. I used to hound them in distant cities of foreign lands, he said. But he became Paul. And God, listen, God began to grow him in faithfulness. And this morning, don't be discouraged if you're not a very faithful person. Don't miss the message. We need to desire it. That don't mean we have it. That means we need to desire. We need to pray about it. We need to seek God because God will be the one that brings about faithfulness into our life. He also says, I have written you briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. And then he says, stand firm in it. There's your imperative. Stand firm. Stand firm. Peter says, man, this is a short letter in which I've been exhorting you and, and the Greek word here is parakaleo. Uh, okay? and, and the Greek word for exhorting means this. It means to urge. It means to plead and to encourage. And so Paul is saying, I've written you this short letter to encourage, to plead, to, to, to urge and to, to, to emphasize in importance and urgency. And Peter is doing this in the midst of suffering and trial. Let us not forget the context, context, context. People being murdered and killed for their faith. Being dipped in oil and set alive to light up the city of Rome. They were blamed for all of these fires that were put out by Nero. And he's testifying these things that he has spoken of in all of the last five chapters. That these are the tr- this is the true grace of God. All that He spoke about in, the, if you remember, the Christian's salvation. We looked at messages on, on, on having a proven faith. Not just, not just saying we're Christian, but, but being able to prove to ourselves that, yes, Jesus Christ has truly regenerated my heart, made me a new creature in Christ, and now I can prove that by what He's done in me and what He's doing through me. We talked about a plea for holy living as Christians and how we need to strive to live holy lives before God and not to set it aside and to say, you know what, I'm saved by grace and live like hell. We need to strive. That doesn't mean we will always live holy lives, but we can sure strive to. And then he talked about the proclamation of fear in the Lord. Not to fear your problems. Not to fear your troubles. Not to fear flesh and blood. But to have a fear of God Himself. In awe and in reverence of who God is. So I stood out there yesterday evening with a brother. And we talked about the Bible. We talked about Christianity. And we watched the sun set. And I was in awe of our Creator. I mean, you just get out of this door and you look back this way. You don't see this in South Carolina. And you oh, this mountain. God created this. And then we looked at the principles, if you remember, of loving fervently. Loving one another as brethren. Being invested. And listen, what I've learned through this, and please understand, that love takes intentional relationship. And I probably could come to you today and I will and I'll say, I'm sorry, I have not been intentional about building relationships with you as individuals. I've been here for a year and there are many of you I don't know. Because what I thought, relationships to me are easy. I have no enemies. I want to be friends with everybody. But what I've learned is love relationship takes work it takes effort and if you feel this morning that I haven't put the effort in it's probably because I haven't and I will try my best to invest into you but please don't leave the objective up to me let us work together to love each other fervently to cry with one another to celebrate with one another let us celebrate that that we have children that that are worshiping God this morning Celebrate together. but also let us cry with one another when we find out that a brother or a sister's mother has gone to be with the Lord. Let us be intentional. And then we talked about the prescription of growing in our faith. Listen, we just don't grow. I mean, we might just grow this way, and some of us this way, and some of us this way. And some of us this way. But the reality is, is we don't grow unless we eat, unless we drink, unless we work on it. And here, the prescription of growing in the faith is having a good diet of the Word of God, a good diet of fellowship. A good diet of being disciples, not only in this church, but in this community, in our families' lives. We saw Peter's push also, if you remember, for acceptable sacrifices. Listen, don't take no sacrifice to God when you're all jacked up. Get on your knees and pray for forgiveness and then come to God open and clean and saying, God, there is no sin that I have not brought before you. Here is my sacrifice. Take it so that you can accept it. And then we learned the last part as we looked at the Christian and his salvation. The first section of the book of 1 Peter. is Peter's position on who we are in Christ. Listen. We can get caught up on the building. We can get caught up that this is the sanctuary. But let me tell you what. This is a nice building. But do you realize, when the curtain was torn, you could now see into the Holy of Holies. You, as followers of Jesus Christ, are now the tabernacle of God. And God dwells in you. He dwells in you as an individual. And so who you are in Christ, you are the priesthood of Christ. I am the priesthood of Christ. And He has given you in me a message of letting the world know that they need a Savior Jesus Christ that they might become the righteousness of God in Him. Let me tell you this morning, brothers and sisters, I don't care what junk you got in your life. If you have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, when God sees you, He sees you as holy and righteous. And if you have that in your life, I ask you to claim 1 John nine. Repent your sins that you might be cleansed. Claim it this morning. Then, the second section we looked at in the book of 1 Peter that he had spoken about is the Christian's relationship. If you remember, we looked at here these people under the leadership of Nero, this Christian hater, and yet Peter says, Submit to your government. Submit to your government. Now, I don't preach politics because I don't want to get into it. I think God has other things to worry about than politics. Because I believe the God I worship is sovereign. And the man that gets put in the office, guess what? God put him there. And we need to serve that God. And stop looking at these men as they are a Savior. That's about as political as I want to get. We are called to submit to the government, whether we like them or not. We're not called to submit to ungodly instruction. We're not to follow anything that contradicts the Word of God. But we are to pray for them, to submit to them, because God has set an order. He's also talked about us in the workplace, about submitting to bad bosses, slaves submitting to their masters. He also talked about the Christian's relationship within the family. He talked about the husband's role, he talked about the woman's role of submission and leadership. And then the last thing we looked at in Christian's relationship was the relationship to the church and how that falls in. All that he spoke next was about the suffering and the service of us as believers. He spoke about exhorting his exhortation to the leadership in this church. He talked about how we as elders and pastors and leaders are to operate and why we are to operate in that fashion. And then the second thing we looked at is the exhortation to the faithful flock of God to resist always, to follow always the elders, and to resist the enemy follow the word of God always resist the enemy always he says all that, I, that, that he has that I've written comes from the author God stroke through a pen through the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and we can leave none of this because it's all the grace of God that we in times of persecution can have success we can have downfalls but we can be encouraged to get back up and finish the race with integrity We need to make sure, he says, to stand firm. To stand firm on what? All that he said in this short letter. You hold on to the attitude of faithfulness in your salvation. Proclaim it. Act like it. In your relationship, in submission, in your suffering, remain faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. As disciples, do all you do into the glory of God. Not only with the attitude of faithfulness we should desire, but the attitude of love should be desired. You know, the attitude of love and the Christian go together like keys in a car. You can have a car without keys and ain't gonna do you no good. You ever locked your keys out of the door? Open door, just don't work. I locked my keys out of myself the other day. I thought I locked myself out of the house. And I tell you, when your wife's gone, you better be awake. Cause you ain't got her to bail you out. <laughs> the call of Cecil to come get me in the house. It goes together like keys to a car. If all you have is faith, and yet you don't love, the Bible says you've got nothing. And so, Peter wants us to understand that this attitude of love is something that we should desire, that we should have. The Bible says, if, if I have the gift of prophecy, and I know all the mysteries And I have all knowledge. And I have all faith. So as to move mountains. But yet I don't have love. I have nothing. I am nothing without love. Therefore, don't you think it's pretty important to desire the attitude of love? Because if I don't love you... And you don't love me, and you don't love each other, and you're not intentional about it, and I'm not intentional about it. We're nothing. We're clanging symbols. He says in 13, "She, who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings. And so does my son Mark, greet one another with the holy kiss of love." Here, Peter is expressing his love for these readers. He's expressing his wishes for all of them to know and understand that the church, she, says greetings. Now, she in this passage is the church. Don't get confused here. Sometimes you do the same thing in our daily lives. Sometimes I do the same things, okay? You may call your car a her. It's not a gender. You may call her old, old Susie. She's, I got her Susie cleaned up this morning. We're going to go for a ride. Or you may call your boat "oh, Betty. Old Betty's floating good this morning. Me and old Betty went out fishing this morning. And for you guys who are hunting, you like hunting, you like guns, let me tell you, you come into my house and old Betsy, she got something for you. You sneak into my house, I got Betsy waiting. Betsy ain't no dog. Listen, here Peter is calling this church she. She who is in Babylon, she is the church. And it says that we are chosen together, that they were chosen together. Isn't that what it says? She who is in Babylon, the church that is in Babylon, chosen together with you. We are like brothers and sisters. Not only this church, but all Bible-believing churches who are in the universal body Christ. we are all brothers and sisters Listen, your church is not better than my church. My church is not better than your church. Our church is not better than their church. Their church is not better than our church. They may have a church where we went this weekend of 9,000 people. Does that make them better than us? No. We are where God wants us to be. And we are how God wants us to be. And we need to be the best church. Because we were chosen together for the purpose of bringing glory to God. For the purpose of bringing glory. He says, I greet you brothers and sisters and so does my son, Mark. Now now did Peter have a son? Was Mark his baby boy? I don't, I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what we see here is intentional discipleship and, 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 and mentoring. And I want to ask you this morning, who's your son? Who's your daughter? It really is not your daughter. It's really not your son. But someone that you've invested your life into, that you love them like a son, and you're discipling them to take the next step and to become leaders in the church. You know, small groups are great. I love them. They're intentional, relational. You get to know each other. But listen, we are called in Matthew 28 to go there for and make what? Disciples. Our intentions in small groups in our daily lives, when we're hunting, when we're fishing, when we're playing football, when we're playing baseball, those things in the life of eternity don't mean diddly squat. But you know what They do. They build platforms for what? Discipleship. Training up the next generation. Training up the next generation. And for those families here that have kids, what a wonderful opportunity you have to be disciples within your own home. you got your own small group. And now we need to train those kids up to start their own small group. And many of the young people have started a small group. And they're beginning to train and to work together and raise up other leaders that can start small groups. We want to see something happen in this community. We need to start building disciples. We need to start building disciples, mentoring, investing. Peter calls him son. And I asked Jason, but I forgot to ask Bill, so Bill, forgive me if this is okay, I hope. But the best example, personally, that I can see in this... It's between Jason and Bill. They're not blood related. But let me tell you what. That man in the back of that room, Jason, he looks to Bill as his father. And I've watched Bill relate with Jason. And he relates to him as a son. Intentional relationships. Transparency. Do you think that they have transparency together? Don't you think that Jason comes to the building and says, I am messed up this week. I need you to pray for me, brother. Transparency. Openness. And don't forget the one that's the toughest. The hard work. The hard work. Peter says, greet one with a, uh, with a kiss of love. Now, my home church, Pastor Carl... Uh, did a message one day, and and he had some missionaries in, and this missionary came in from another country. And this missionary wanted the people in the audience to experience something in which was in their culture. And so that missionary said, well, this morning we want to greet you, and so I want you to look at your neighbor and give him a kiss of love. And he had about the same response. Ain't nobody going to be kissing nobody in here. (laughs) But what I want you to understand is in America, that I don't want you kissing on me, okay? That's just the way it is. And and if you go to kissing on my wife, we're going to have a problem. And so I promise you I won't be kissing on your wife, and you don't be kissing on mine, and we'll be all right. But I will give you a hug. And sometimes that's uncomfortable for men. Give me a big hug, you big boy. Listen, we need to be intentional about showing our affection for one another. And that's what they did. They gave each other a kiss on the cheek, not on the lips. But it really compares to hugs in our in our culture and maybe even a handshake. I know some men don't like to, to, to hug, and so I shake you. Give you a handshake, let you know I love you, brother. That's as close as I want to get to you right now. You know? <laughs> But listen to the Bible in all the places it talks about loving each other. And, it's, and they're all relational and intentional. 1 Samuel 20, about Jonathan and David. He said he loved him as much as he loved himself. Is that biblical? I'm just saying. John thirteen thirty four says, Love one another as I have loved you, says the Lord. There's all kind of love going on in the Bible. And Jesus is our example and He's loving all up on these people. As I've loved you. Do you think Jesus was loving people? Of course He was. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says, do everything in love. 1 Peter 4, 8, in our book that we've been studying, it says, above all, love each other deeply. I want to ask you this morning, have you been loving on each other? Have you been loving on each other? I've already came to you and I've said, hey, I haven't been the best example as a leader in this church to show what it means to love. And I, and I want to be more intentional about that. But I don't want it to stop with me. We all need to love on each other a little more and be there for each other. You know, as we... As we greet people. I'm an observer. I'll watch. We get new people in and i watch how you love on them. i watch how you love on them. We need to flood these people with the love of God. We need to flood each other with the love of God. We need to show the outside world what it is like to truly love one another. So let us be Intentional, intentional, intentional. Intentional. First Thessalonians one three says, "Your labor was prompted in love. The work that they did, the service they did, was prompted in love." We are a wonderful church in this biblical model. Wouldn't you agree? We show our love by the work we do. We do a lot for people in this community, seen and unseen. And it starts because of our love for that person. And I want to encourage you to keep it up. People see it. When we have a truckload of people at somebody's house, people go, whoa, what's going on there? Oh, they just loving on that dude. When there's a need comes up, next thing you know, we ain't got time to do nothing. It's already done. Next day, next morning. We have a community and a church in which your labor is prompted by your love. But let it not end in your service to them. Let it be every day in every aspect of all of our relationships. Physical, mentally, emotionally, all of it. Jesus was asked in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. 36, He says this, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. With, all, with everything you have. With all parts of your body. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jonathan and David loved each other as they loved themselves. It was the biblical model. And sometimes it's hard to love others as you love yourself, but we're called to do it. And we need to encourage one another to do it and to show love to each other. On these two commandments depends the whole law. I would say this morning that everything, all the commandments pivot off of love. Off of love. Let us love more, express love more, and greet each other with a holy kiss, or the expression and an attitude toward love. The second attitude we need to look at: is we need to we need to understand the attitude of peace should be desired. The attitude of peace should be desired. Peace should be desired by every Christian. All Christian folks. Coming from the South, they say everybody. Everybody should love, should have peace as Christians. Galatians 5.22 sums up why. He says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Do you understand all three of those that we're talking about today are fruits of the Spirit? You know why we should desire them? Because when Jesus Christ regenerates our heart, we need to be having the fruits of the Spirit. And listen, I say desire because you may not have those yet. God is the one who builds, who completes, who perfects. The question is, how are you doing in the process? Are you praying for it? Do you see a lack of love? Then you need to pray about it. Because you ain't going to build it in yourself. Only God can change you from the inside out. Only God can through the power of the Holy Spirit. All three of these attitudes, fruits of the Spirit, and we're called to make every effort to keep this unity of Spirit through the bond of peace, says in Ephesians 4.3. We're to live in peace with each other is what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.13. We're to flee evil desires and seek after love and peace. In 2 Timothy 2.22 Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How is it that we have peace? How is it we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ? Peter says in the last part of this verse, Peace be to you, all who are in Christ. Notice what he doesn't say. Peace be to everybody. This morning, I want you to understand that it's through the Lord Jesus Christ that we have peace. And this morning, if you're sitting here and you're not at peace, something's wrong. Something's wrong. I'm not saying you won't struggle with it. I struggle with being at peace. But I understand that I'm supposed to have peace. And when I'm not at peace, it's something going on in my life that's preventing it. Because it's through Jesus Christ, through the work that He has done, that we need to understand we can have this peace that surpasses all understanding. There was a time in my life I didn't have peace. There was a time in my life that I had struggles. And I was not at peace. But I want you to understand that peace only comes from knowing the knowledge and understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's when we understand what, what, what really happened on the cross at Calvary that we can experience Peace. We, we, we can start taking listen when I elk hunt man I got a backpack on I got water I got food I got everything and I'm walking up this mountain and I'm about to kill over because i'm carrying all this weight and when I get to the top of that hill first thing I do is oh I start shedding off that stuff and and I start feeling peace you see Jesus Christ completed everything for you all the cross. And when you understand that, you can start shedding off well, you know, I I don't need to necessarily have to do this I don't have to go serve in this I'm not under legal obligation to do anything but to praise God and to bring Him glory. And when we start living lives and understanding that it's not what we do that makes us right before God we can start shedding off weight. And we start relying on what Jesus Christ did on Calvary when He said, Tetelestai, it is finished. Paid in full. Listen. My brothers, my sisters, I want you to understand something this morning. You cannot have the peace of God until you are at peace with God. You cannot have the peace of God until you are at peace with God. Listen, when I was at a point where I didn't have peace, I was living in sin. The devil wasn't having to flee from me because I had one foot in the world and I had one foot in my walk. And we all know what the Bible says about being lukewarm. We all know what it says. I'd rather you be hot or cold than to be lukewarm. Because if you're lukewarm, we're going to spew you out of His mouth. Listen, peace has to begin with God before it can begin with you. This morning, my encouragement... My exhortation to you, brothers and sisters, is to go before God today and say, God, I'm not at peace. Be transparent. Be open. He knows all things. You ain't hiding nothing from Him in ways. And say, God, I really want to experience this peace that pastor's talking about. If I can get all of the worship team to come up, Listen, this morning, if you want to know what it's like to have peace, even in situations of life in which are difficult, we will give you that opportunity this morning. I want to call you this morning to cast your sins unto the Lord. You don't have to, to do that up front. You don't have to do that anywhere, but right there in the quietness of your heart. This morning I want to begin to see this church. What's the church? The people. I want to see the church begin to experience the peace of God. So that when people begin to, to look, they see something that draws him to it. They, they see something in your life that begins to, to mold and to make sense. And, and they begin to say, I, I want what He has. I want to be able to go through what you've gone through and to experience the peace. And this morning, I want you to do that. Because until you are at peace with God, brothers and sisters, you will not have the peace of God. And so this morning, why don't you, Make it right with God.